What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of High on Infinity, the podcast dedicated to everything sports and nerd culture. I am your host, Jake and Knight, and we've got a great episode on it for you today, folks. In the spirit of WrestleMania, I'm going to give you my top 10 WWE wrestlers of all time. Then you know I got to talk about the crazy Netflix documentary, Tiger King. Then we finally wrap up the TV character, Marsh Maddox Bracket, with our final four and title round. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Yes, 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 that time of week again, everybody. High on Infinity, the podcast dedicated to everything sports and nerd culture. Like always, I am your host, Jacob Knight. Your first time listening to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. And if you are a returning listener, which I hope you are, we're glad to have you back for a fantastic episode. I hope everybody's doing good, good this week. And once again, thank you for the likes, subscribes, the shares, the retweets. Wherever you do support the podcast, I greatly appreciate it. I will not be here without y'all, the listeners. Like I said, hope everybody, everybody's having a good week. Hope everybody's staying at home. If you have the opportunity to stay at home, I think today's day 15 of quarantine for myself. It's, you know, just, it sucks. But, hey, you got to do what you got to do to not get infected and whatnot. And, and, and this whole coronavirus, I'm pretty sure it's ruining a lot of stuff. You know, people's sports. Movies, TV shows, and all that stuff, and it's, and it's affecting some topics for this podcast too. Because since it's WrestleMania weekend, I had this—I think I planned this like six six weeks in advance, like what I was going to talk about for WrestleMania. I was going to have a special in, in, introduction, music to the podcast. I was going to have the Undisputed Era. If y'all if y'all watch wrestling, you know what I'm talking about. I was going to have the Undisputed Era theme song playing at the beginning of the podcast. But coronavirus is ruining everything because I was going to talk about the Hall of Fame, the NXT TakeOver, and the WrestleMania card for this upcoming weekend. But like I said, coronavirus is ruining everything. And WrestleMania is going to be held in the Performance Center in front of an empty crowd. And that does not sound exciting at all. So I decided to continue the ranking series I talked about last week on the podcast. And I'm going to do my top 10 WWE wrestlers of all time. And just for the sake of the list, we're going to keep it strictly to what they did in the WWE slash WWF, if that was a call when their time was wrestling. So nothing they did in TNA, Ring of Honor, New Japan, AEW, etc., etc. None of this will count to this list. And the criteria I am going by is entrance music. You know, that's the first thing the crowd's going to hear when you come out. And, you know, like I just said, you never get a second chance to make a good first impression. So how... How good was the theme song and how hype it got you for the match that was going to happen? And next is the finishing move. The most important move in the wrestler's arsenal. How original and effective the move was. Your mic skills. How good of a talker you are. Are the promos. You know, promos are half the equation of being a good wrestler. And how good of a trash talker you are. And how good can you sell a match? And last but not least, ring skills. How good you are in the ring. Can you carry a company and be in the main event? And lastly, this is just my personal opinion, so please don't get offended. If your favorite wrestler isn't on the list or they're at a lower spot, then you will like for them to be at. And once again, this list is just for fun because, like I said, coronavirus is ruining everything, so I can't. I need some sports to talk about. And unlike last week, I did not delete my notes by accident, so I have honorable mentions for this list. Honorable mentions have quite a few, so just bear with me. I have um, AJ Styles, personally, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. He was voted the wrestler of the decade for the 2010s, but he's mostly known for his TNA run, 
where he was the face of that company for a very long time. And when TNA didn't resign him, he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling and elevated himself to an even higher level. Then he finally made his long-awaited WWE debut in 2016. And so far, his resume, he's a two-time WWE champion, and he had countless great matches with in WWE with John Cena, Roman Reigns, and Daniel Bryan. And speaking of Daniel Bryan, another honorable, another honorable mention is Daniel Bryan, one of the best technical wrestlers of our time, and he was known for being a submission wizard and adapting a hard-hitting style for such a for such a small size. And he's a five-time WWE champion. Arguably, could have been higher or even made the list if he didn't take a three-year hiatus due to recurring neck injuries. And um, and what happened? You know, he like. What could have been if he would have just, you know, stayed healthy for those three years and didn't retire uh, for a little while. But he was still, but he, but he still produced great matches with John Cena, CM Punk, Triple H, AJ Styles, Brock Lesnar, and he has a promising feud with The Miz if it's booked correctly. And next, you know, I got to show up to the ladies. Next on the list of honorable mentions is Trish Stratus, one of the trailblazers of women's wrestling at the time where WWE wasn't presenting you know, women in wrestling in the bright light. Because at the time in the w- at the time when she was in the WWE, women were just basically eye candy, notably for having bra and panties matches every now and then. But Trish Stratus, who is a beautiful woman, uh, she was one of the best wrestlers in the company during her time. She's a seven-time women's champion. She had classic matches with Lita, Molly Holly, Mickey James, the list goes on, and becoming the first woman along with Lita to main event on Monday Night Raw. And there will be no women's revolution. Is it, is it revolution or evolution? One of the two. I think it's revolution today in WWE without Trish Stratus. There'll be no Becky Lynch. There'll be no Charlotte Flair. No Rhea Ripley. Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks, et cetera, et cetera. Without the help of Trish Stratus. And next we're moving on to China. Probably the most popular women's wrestler of all time. Women wouldn't, women wouldn't have the path they have today without China starting it. Even Trish Stratus and China was different at the time. Women was, you know, as a woman, she was what she was stronger and taller than a lot of the men in WWE. And some of her accolades, she's a women's champion, a two-time intercontinental champion, the first woman to hold that title, a WWE Hall of Famer along with uh with the group the, the Generation X, and she needs to be in the in the Hall of Fame by herself as an individual. Yes, she did some questionable things. After her WWE tender tenure, I'm not going to get into that. If you know, you know. But her impact on a company is way too much for her not to be in the Hall of Fame as an individual. And next on the honorable mention list, this might get some blowback, but Triple H, one of the greatest heels of all time. And, you know, of course, uh, I'm going to use some wrestling lingo. If, you, if you're not familiar, heel is the bad guy. But he's one of the greatest of all time. I want to say I've been watching wrestling for about... 20 i say 21 22 years and i swear triple h has been a heel for at least 18 of those (laughs) 18 of those years his work in dx evolution and the authority makes him one of the best wwe villains of all time and accolades is a 14 time champion he had great feuds with stone cold the rock undertaker batista just to name a few and we can't count his involvement with nxt as well and others that did this i'm sorry there's just so many people in the honorable mention section i couldn't get the most of them like mick foley eddie guerrero and edge other people i wanted to talk about but just didn't have the time to talk about it now we're going into the top 10 list starting at number 10 i have chris jericho one of the most underrated theme songs of all time and he and he made his debut around the y2 
Y2K craze in the late 90s, in 1999, and he dubbed the nickname Y2J. In every intro, in every intro, in his first one with the company, had the countdown, you know, like from the 10 going down. Like the same thing, like with Y2K, and had the most memorable debut in WWE by interrupting The Rock. And he's one of the best people on the mic and one of the best trash talkers in WWE history. And he, you know, he coined the Raw Jericho model for a time being. And he was only the, he was one of the only wrestlers that could trade verbal jazz with The Rock. And with a great theme song and a great talker, he was fantastic in the ring as well. His with the walls of Jericho being one of the great submission finishers at a time where submission finishers were rare to come by. Also, he added a mod, the modified version called the Lion Tamer. And lately, he and in later I mean and later on in his run, he started to use the Code Breaker as well. And Jericho doesn't get enough credit for reinventing himself to keep his character fresh throughout the years and his ability even to this day to put on great matches in the, in the later years of his career. And he's a six-time world champion, the first undisputed champion. He beat Stone Cold and The Rock on the same night to do that. He's a nine-time Intercontinental champion. That's the WWE record. And a four-time Cruiserweight champion back in his WCW days. And still going strong in AEW. I know I didn't count that, but come on. A man that age doing good at wrestling, you got to give him his props. Number nine on the list is Bret the Hitman Hart. Theme song was okay, in my opinion. His mic skills are good, but pales in comparisons to other people on this list. But when it came, you know, going in between the ropes, Brett was one of the best to ever do it. During his time in the WWE, uh, WWE, WWE catered to the bigger and stronger guys, but Brett, but Brett's technical work made him one of the best in the business and made him a, a torchbearer after the WWE Golden Age of the 1980s and Bret Hart has one of the most known submission moves ever in a sharpshooter and some of it some of his accolades is a seven-time world champion two-time tag team champ a part one a part of one of the best factions in WWE history with the Hart Foundation and provided wrestling classics with Stone Cold the British Bulldog and his legendary in-ring and out-ring rivalry with Shawn Michaels including their 60-minute epic Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12 number eight on the list I have John Cena. Theme songs to me is one of the best in his generation. One of the only few theme songs that have a hip-hop based theme to it as well. And Cena doesn't get enough credit for, for being such a good talker. Granted, he's in the era of scripted promos, but his, but his still seem to come off real and authentic. But some of the criticisms of Cena uh, was his lack of moves in the ring. Uh, his very move, his very few moves. The very few moves Cena does, every match was dubbed the five moves of doom because every time he wrestled, he was going to do one of these five moves. And granted, I liked when his finishing move was called the FU back in the day before WWE went PG and his submission move was called STFU. And now the PG era started, he had to change some of the names of his moves. But when it comes to the accolades, Cena is up there with the best 16-time world champion, five-time United States champion, elevating that title numerous times when it was considered a mere when it was considered a secondary title at the time. And he has great matches and great rivalries with Randy Orton, CM Punk, The Rock, Triple H, great matches with Shawn Michaels. And the list goes on and on and on. And you may you may not have to like Cena. He may, you may, he may not have to be your favorite, but you got to respect what he's done for the WWE in his career. And number seven on the list, I have The Undertaker, a character that lasted generations. As a, you know, as an undead wrestler, that sounds like a cheesy idea, but Taker found a way to make it last all these years and his theme song fits his character so well his mic skills were okay but the aura of the undertaker 
um, was for him just to be a, more of a physical presence than a vocal presence um, when he wrestles. And Taker may be, may be, uh, may be able to re and Taker was able to reinvent himself throughout the years to keep his character fresh. He had the Dead Man character. He had the Lord of Darkness, Ministry of Darkness, the American Badass when he came out on the motorcycle, and reverted back to. Uh, his dead man character for his last run and his ring skills are great for a man of his size. Remember some of his moves, he had to snake eyes into the big boot. He used to jump off the top rope. And uh, when, uh, when he was holding onto their arm called that old school, he had a choke slam, the last ride. And of course the tombstone pile driver, some of his accolades, you know, seven time world champion, six time tag team champion, a 21, a 21 match win streak at WrestleMania, which I thought should never been broken, but that's for another day in time and countless rivalries and matches with Sean, now with Triple H, Stone Cold, Kane, Batista, Brock Lesnar and Shawn Michaels, including their two WrestleMania classics, the one at WrestleMania being 25, highly considered the, the greatest WWE match of all time. And sixth on the list, we have the Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the people, along with Hulk Hogan, who were the forerunners of the wrestling boom called the Golden Age in the 1980s. His theme song was, you know, of course, Pomp and Circumstance. That's a song you walk out to when you graduate. Mike's skills were all-time great. Just YouTube his uh, Cream of the Crop promo back in the 80s. And he was known for being one of the best technical wrestlers ever as well. Also, he could fly the top rope for a man his size. The flying elbow drop still being used today as a move. And he's a two-time champion. Um... He had the Intercontinental Championship one time. He had all-time great feuds with Hulk Hogan, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and the Ultimate Warrior. And he's one of the all-time great wrestling characters in the history of the business. Continuing with the top five. At number five, I have Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle's theme song was okay, but in fact, his all-American athlete gimmick because he was the first amateur wrestler to be in WWE, making his debut in 1998, only two years after winning a gold medal in the 1996 Olympics with a broken freaking neck. And not only did he have the skills in the ring, his might skills are A1 too because he could be the lovable babyface, which is the good guy, and the cowardly heel and play both roles very well. One of the only few to do so at the time. And in the ring, no one could come close to Kurt Angle. In my opinion, he's the greatest technical wrestler in WWE history with his amateur background playing a huge role in his seamless transition into professional wrestling. And that's why he was dubbed the wrestling machine because of his deep arsenal of wrestling moves, including the belly to belly suplex, the angle slam and the and the, and the ankle lock, which was a simply but highly effective finisher because it could be encountered to from any other move. And while he was only in the WWE for less than 10 years. Kurt Angle's run stacks up with, with some of the best out there. He's a six-time world champion with great feuds and matches with Stone Cold, The Rock, Shawn Michaels, Chris Benoit, and always stated, uh, just, in, just, just in conversation, to me, prime Kurt Angle is top five all time, so I had to put him in my top five. Number four on the list, man, get some blowback from this. My guy, Ric Flair, one of the legends in the, one of the, legends in the business. One of the most recognizable figures in all of pop culture. And one of the reasons why WWE is so popular today. Because his mic skills are all time. He basically invented the promo as we know today. And some of the greatest accolades ever. 16-time world champion. Two-time Hall of Famer. With him by himself and him with the four horsemen. Part of two great factions and two 
different generations, like I said, with the Four Horsemen and Evolution and great matches and rivalries with Macho Man, Randy Savage, Mr. Perfect, Shawn Michaels, Ricky Steamboat, Dust, Dusty Rose, the list goes on and on and on. And he's truly one of the all-time greats. And number three on the list, I have The Rock, one of the most popular wrestlers ever, one of the top two in his era, and one of the main driving forces of the popularity of wrestling in the late 90s, known as the Attitude Era. And his theme song, once again, top five all time. Mike, Skill Mike Skills and me are the greatest, in my opinion. His ability to hold the crowd in the palm of his hand every time he was talking. His endless amount of catchphrases, the know your role and shut your mouth, the it doesn't matter, you know, to if you smell what the rock is cooking. And his quick and witty lines when it comes to taking shots at his opponent. And yes, his wrestling skills weren't as great as other people on this list. But it was, but it's still good enough to add to his overall character. And he somehow got the people's elbow. When you think about it in hindsight, it's probably one of the lamest finishing moves ever. But when he did it, it was the coolest finishing move ever. And plus, he was one of the all-time bestsellers in WWE history. Just watch him take a Stone Cold Stunner. It's probably one of the best things you'll ever see all day. And he's a 10-time world champion. He was the leader of an underrated faction in the Nation of Domination. They had a great feud with DX in the mid-90s, and he had great single feuds with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, John Cena, Kurt Angle, and number two on the list, we have Shawn Michaels, hands down to me, the greatest WWE theme song in the history, because it fat his pretty boy persona in his first run, I remember, I remember we went to Buffalo Wild Wings one time during WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels came out, we was outside, and I swear to God, when Shawn Michaels came out, grown men well, grown adults, about a hundred of them out there, me included, was singing Shawn Michaels' theme song. That's how great his theme song was. And his mic skills to me, like I said, they were good, to say the least. To me, he did some of his best work when he was either talking about Bret Hart or he had someone to bounce off of with Triple H when they were in, in uh, Degeneration Next. But in the ring, Shawn Michaels is one of the best. He was nicknamed the Showstopper for a reason and nicknamed Mr. WrestleMania because he because he performed his best on the biggest of stages. But in the middle of his career, he had to take a four-year hiatus due to a back injury. And during this time, he changed his whole outlook because during the 90s, it was plenty of reports saying Shawn Michaels was a very difficult person to work with behind the scenes. But when he came back in the early 2000s, uh, that some people say that run was even, was even better than his first run with the company. And he's a four-time champion, one half of the one of the great tag teams, the Rockers, a part of one of the greatest factions in the Generation X, and classic upon classic of good matches and feuds with Triple H, Stone Cold, The Undertaker, Kurt Angle, and of course his legendary blood feud with Bret Hart. And number one on the list, y'all probably can guess it from the top, but to me, the greatest wrestler in WWE history is no one other than Stone Cold Steve Austin. I consider him the Michael Jordan of professional wrestling. First off, theme song was A1. Long story short, when that glass broke, the crowd went crazy. And the reason I call him the Michael Jordan, excuse me, of professional wrestling, because Jordan changed the game on the court with his play and changed the game off the court with his shoes. And Austin did the same thing in a way. He changed wrestling, how wrestling was in the ring by winning the WWF title at WrestleMania 14, kicking off the Attitude Era, the most popular time in wrestling history, and in merchandise sales as well with shirts, signs, phone fingers, video games, etc., etc. If the Jordan 1 
is the most popular basketball shoe of all time. Then the Austin 316 shirt is the most popular wrestling shirt of all time. And Austin's bike skills were, were great as well. Some of his best work when he went uh he, when he went uh ver, when, when he went verbal jab for jab with the rock. Just just look at some of the Austin Rock promos. They are fantastic. And the Stole Cold and the Stole Cold Stun is one of the greatest finishing moves in wrestling. And some of his accolades, six-time world champion, three-time Royal One Royal Rumble winner, legendary feuds with Bret Hart, like in WrestleMania 13, the match that put him on the map. His legendary feud with Miss McMahon. That was probably one of it's probably one of the best feuds in WWE history because Stone Cold was he basically represented the, the blue collar American and Business Man was the uptight boss. And you know everybody wants to show their boss up or give their get even with their boss. And this was like people lived vicariously through that Stone Cold and Vince McMahon feud on TV. And of course another legendary rivalry with Triple H. I remember I think No Way Out two thousand one. They had their epic three stages of hell match. And of course, his legendary rivalry with The Rock when they main evented three WrestleManias together. And with that story career that changed wrestling both inside the ring and outside the ring, this is why I considered Stone Cold Steve Austin the GOAT when it comes to pro wrestling. Y'all know I had to hop on the podcast this week and talk about probably the wildest thing I saw on Netflix in a very long time, the show Tiger King. Yes, um, how I stumbled upon this. Well, originally, this is going to be just a Netflix recommendation um, segment where I just recommend stuff to watch on Netflix. And then, like I said, Tiger King came out and I just, okay. And I was like, okay, this is the only thing I got to recommend people to watch. So if you got Netflix and you haven't seen Tiger King, go watch Tiger King. So how I stumbled upon Tiger King, well, I walked on the Netflix and in the feature up top, they had something called Tiger King. And I saw a couple posts about it on social media, but, ne- but then, you know, make no mind of it. And I saw it was, a, it was a number one trending show on Netflix. And I was like, I know Netflix do that. You know, what's trending at the moment. So I checked out the trailer and it looked interesting. So I, and then I checked out the show. All I got to say is you have to see it to believe it. I described Tiger King as breaking bad with tigers instead of meth. Well, there's meth in there too, but replace the meth with the tigers as the main, you know, that's what they're fighting over. But a quick premise of Tiger King, we haven't seen it yet. Um, we uh, basically, we follow this guy called Joe Exotic as he runs a big cat zoo in Oklahoma. You know, big big cats are like tigers, lions, jaguars, panthers, et cetera, et cetera. And his main rival was a, was a, a Florida woman who ran a big cat rescue organization called Carol. And uh, because she thought what Joe was doing, letting people come in, pay, see the tigers, petting him was inhumane, which I don't get because in a sense, Carol was doing the same thing. She was going to take she was going to take the tigers away from Joe in cages and basically put him in cages. So to me, it just didn't make sense. And usually right there would be the craziest thing that happens in a normal documentary. But that right there, the main plot of the documentary is like on, is on the back burner Uh <laughs> Of this because I didn't realize that the big cat game was so cutthroat because the tiger zoo, um, because the tiger zoo just drags you into the to watching the documentary, but that doesn't even scratch the sur- the surface of the madness that happens in this documentary. Besides, uh, tigers, you have drugs, polygamy, murder, politics, federal gov- federal government involvement, and a lot of craziest and a lot of crazy things happen in this documentary. And the deeper you get into the documentary, the crazier it gets. 
And like I said, a whole bunch of crazy things happen. And if you have not seen Tiger King yet, from this point on, I'm talking spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, just either skip to the next segment, hear me talk about these spoilers and be like, man, that really happened. I got to see it now or pause it, watch it to come back to this segment. But from now, from here on out, I'm, I'm talking nothing but spoilers. Okay. To me, I picked five things, I think four or five things that stuck out to me watching this documentary. <laughs> to me, the whole second episode was crazy as hell. It starts off with one of Joe's workers getting her arm ripped off by a tiger. Then later on, Joe marries his second husband in the, st- in the show. So we got two husbands. Then we meet a big cat owner in, in South Carolina. That man got six girlfriends. And then we meet a guy in Miami who runs a who runs a big cat zoo who did time on drug charges and went to jail because his dad killed an informant and then chopped his body up and burnt it in the guy's driveway. And he was basically compared to a modern day Scarface. And to be completely honest, this guy was probably considered the most normal person in this documentary. And then the end of the episode, Joe accuses his his main rival, Carol, his rival in Florida of killing her husband and feeding and feeding him to the tiger. Like all that's in one episode. All that's in 45 minutes. A season's worth of content happened in 45 minutes on Tiger King. That's how crazy this documentary was. And another a crazy thing was just so Joe. So instead of instead of besides owning a a tiger farm, Joe Exotic is also a musician as well. I say that loosely and um, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. And yeah, and you know, him being a country music singer, quote unquote, he made a diss track about Carol, how we, how she killed her husband and fed him <laughs> to the tigers. Another crazy thing happened in this season, like I said, with Joe political <laughs> uh, ventures, because in 2016, he decided to run for president as an independent, but when I guess when the race got out of hand, he decided to run for the governor in his homestead of Oklahoma. And during his campaign, he was passing out condoms with his face on it. So, you know, in the campaign trail, you're passing out stuff to everyone. So more than likely, some kids got condoms with this man's face on it. And the crazy thing is around election time, Joe received like 20 percent, 20 percent of the votes uh, to become the governor. And then finally, of course, the downfall of Joe, um, you know, He's currently doing, I think, 20 years in prison for plotting to kill Carol and also have charges for killing five tigers and burying him on his property. And that's not even half of the craziness that happens in Tiger King. I didn't even get into grave details about how Joe's second husband accidentally killed himself in front of Joe's campaign manager. And while at the funeral, he described their sexual escapades while while um, his dead husband's mother is sitting there in the front row. And also how his first husband left... The first husband loved Joe because he was sleeping with the woman who runs the front counter and got her pregnant. And then the final kicker that is, um, it said that both of the guys were probably not even gay. They were just using Joe to buy them drugs, you know, drugs, dirt bikes and uh, shotguns. And then after that, after his husband, his second husband passed away. I'm confusing myself. After his second husband passed away, Joe married another man two months after the death of his second husband. And then we meet a, a guy who scams Joe out of his zoo, who's also a swinger on the side in Vegas. Forget to mention that. And also Joe, the guy ends up recording Joe, asking him to pay someone to kill Carol for him. And to be honest, uh, he's probably as guilty as uh, Joe because he said he didn't 
I, I can't remember what he said. He said he didn't he didn't tell her tell him to go kill Carol. He just gave him the idea or something. Okay, so Tiger King was so crazy that my microphone cut off toward the end of it. But just to sum things up, Tiger King is on Netflix. Seven episodes, about forty five minutes apiece, and I guarantee you, will be the craziest thing you watch on Netflix in this crazy year we call 2020. But moving on to the TV character, Marsh Madness Bracket. We are down to our final four. To be honest, I had fun these past three weeks. I'm thinking about some tweaks I can make for next year's bracket, but next year, but I can't wait till next year. So I got to run another bracket back in the, in a couple weeks. Um, There's not going to be 64 participants. It's just going to be 32. And I'm going to let the people vote on it this time on social media. And it's something I should have done with this with this current bracket, but um, I just, like I said, I just threw this together within four or five days. And I was thinking the ideas for this new bracket I'm gonna make. And um, I, I was laying in bed one night thinking of podcast ideas, and I was like, oh wow, that'd be cool. I think people would like that. So I had to wake up, jot it down right quick, and I remember the next night. But I think, or the next morning, I think y'all gonna like this new one. It's a comic book movie tournament. Yes, we're gonna crown the best comic book movie. In history, we got 16 DC movies. We got 16 Marvel movies. I'm still sending the movies in a seating. Yes, there'll be seating in this tournament in order at the moment. So in about two or three weeks, I'll have everything done. I'll announce it, put the bracket out. Then we'll get uh, the voting. Then the voting will start. But moving on to this bracket. Yes, we're down to our final four. Um, Walter White, Wesley Note, Goku, and Vegeta. Walter White made... His path to the final four by final four by defeating Jimmy McGill from Better Call Saul, Joffrey from Game of Thrones, Dexter Morgan from Dexter, and Negan from The Walking Dead. Wesley made her way to the final four by defeating Jessica Day from New Girl, Hank Hill from King of the Hill, SpongeBob, and Will Smith from The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And moving up to the heroes bracket, Goku made his way to the final four by defeating Danny Phantom. Samurai Jack, Steven Universe, and Rick Grimes. Then lastly, Vegeta punched his ticket to the Final Four by defeating Schmidt from New Girl, Patrick Starr, Steve Harrington from Stranger Things, and Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. Moving to the left side of the bracket, the first Final Four matchup, we see Walter White versus Wesley Note. Walter White, okay. I stated at the beginning of this tournament, Walter's character arc will take him a long way in this tournament, we see him transition from a high school chemistry teacher amidst a midlife crisis into a meth kingpin named Heisenberg. And what makes Walter's stories, Walter White, a compelling character is that all these events could have been avoided in Breaking Bad. Because remember, before the show even started, he was a he was a co-owner of a tech company and left right before they became successful. And Walt always felt that his former partners profited off of his work. But if he would have stayed, you know, he would have been in a better financial situation to support his family. And if the cancer still happened to come, he would have been um, he would have had you know, the means to pay for his treatments. And now but now he's a high school chemistry teacher who works part time at a car wash, being made fun of and taking orders from people who doesn't even have a quarter of the intelligence that Walter White has. And at the start of Breaking Bad, you can say Walt has hit rock bottom. And you know, once you hit rock bottom, only way to go is up. And Walt wants to do that by any means necessary to provide for his family. And then we all, and then we know that Walter White left one empire to build his own, you know, build his own new empire with meth, of course. And then next, moving on to his opponent, Leslie Nope. What make Leslie Nope a good character is two simple things. First is her optimism and belief in others. For the most part, she always tried to see the potential of the people in her department. She always pushes 
uh, you know, them to do greater things. Like she pushed April to not settle for just enough. She pushed her to go to vet school. She gave Andy the shoe shiner at her job, a job on her campaign team when she was running for mayor. She could have gave that job to any other candidate that was certainly more qualified than Andy if you watched Parks and Rec. And also, she gave her best friend Ann Perkins a job at the Parks Department with no government office experience whatsoever. But all these characters turned out better after, you know, Wesley, you know, encouraged them. And the second is her is her will to never give up no matter how bad things get. She always the one well, she's always willing to go through with her ideas no matter what people think about it. For example, while she was throwing a harvest festival in season three, a lot of people said she was crazy. You know, uh, her department suffered from budget from budget cuts and most people would have quit at that very moment. But Wesley Nope, but Wesley Nope did not. And this was a tough verdict, in my opinion. Very tough choice. I love both these shows so much, but I have to give this round to Walter White. Both characters had to overcome a lot of odds, but Walter were Walters were far greater to overcome and have more ramifications throughout the show. Then our second semifinal matchup, we have Goku versus Vegeta. You have Goku. Goku's your textbook hero. He's always the fastest, the strongest, and the first to reach the highest level of Saiyans. And nothing was ever really given to him. He earned it through hard work and training. And he taught us that to achieve the highest goals, you have to work hard for it. And Goku was always down-to-earth character and would never let his power and superiority get get to his head. He's loyal to his friends and his family and is willing to fight and die for either of them. And Goku was also also had that never gave up attitude as well. Then moving on to his counterpart Vegeta, the princess sayings, the guy who always plays second fiddle to Goku, no matter how much Vegeta trained, Goku was always better than him. Eventually admitting that Goku is superior to him, which is hard for Vegeta because we know how prideful he is. And it takes a while for someone to admit the truth sometimes. But Vegeta has the best character arc in Dragon Ball Z. He started off as the villain. They became one of the good guys. He became a husband, became a father. Something we probably would have never thought of when we first met Vegeta in the show. And the final verdict for this matchup. This one was easier than I expected. Goku, Goku's character basically stayed stay stagnant. For the majority of Dragon Ball Z, while we see Vegeta go from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, we've seen him not give a damn about. You know, we've seen him not give a damn about nothing, but now he's coming full circle about caring uh, for people now, like his, you know, caring for his family, his wife, his kids. And there's a reason why there's Beam saying Piccolo was a way better dad to Gohan to Goku, and I'd rather see uh, someone's character get built up rather than just have someone that's already established, Goku may be bigger, stronger, and faster, but Vegeta has more heart. So we have Vegeta moving on to the final round of the TV character Marsh Madness bracket to take on Walter White. Okay, we are down to the final round, the championship round of the TV character March Madness bracket. On one side, we got from Breaking Bad, Heisenberg, Walter White versus from Dragon Ball Z, the Princess Sains, Vegeta. I don't even know where to start from this. We're going we're gonna to start with Walter White. Walter White was 
already know one of the one of the favorites, one of the top four people to win this whole tournament. Like I said, his his character arc was just so compelling, going from uh, a science teacher slash car wash employee, bottom of the barrel, to becoming the drug kingpin of the United States. I want to say, and then we got Vegeta who started off as a villain, then he got a heart, started to care for, for other people. He got a wife, a kid now, always have the, he always has the most heart on Dragon Ball Z. Oh man, I don't even know where to, first off, I ain't writing no notes for this. I'm just going off the top of the head. But, uh, <laughs> but I've been thinking about this choice for about 10 to 15 minutes now. And it's, it's, it's tough, in my opinion. Both very good characters. I've stated in the past plenty of times, I think Breaking Bad is the greatest show of all time. And Walter White was a, a part of that reason. And I always stated that Vegeta, to me, was my favorite Dragon Ball Z character of all time because it was someone you could root for. Vegeta was a work in progress. Like I said, he started off as a bad guy. Uh, Goku's antagonist at first. Then he became a protagonist. Yes, he did play second fiddle to Goku. Um... Uh, for for the whole for you know majority of the show, real got any time to shine, but that one made people like Vegeta. It's like we know this guy's capable of doing it. We just, you know, it just you know, like I said, it's just it's it's just the way how the show is. You know, the the main hero always gonna get all the glory, but I had to pick a winner. Like I said, character arcs during the show played big factors in this. Both had very good character arcs. But the winner of the TV character March Madness bracket, I'm going to have to give it to Walter White. Yes, like I said, from going from um, uh, a science teacher down on his luck to becoming the biggest drug kingpin in in America. And he basically paid the price for that by, you know, if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, spoiler alert, by dying at the end of the show. And Walt's... And Walt's character arc throughout Breaking Bad, it was that it was like that Batman phrase, what uh, I think Harvey Dent said in The Dark Knight. Um, what well, he said, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And Walter White did, he did both of those basically because the longer the show went, the more, to, and just personally, the more hatred I had towards Walter White. Like, man, this guy's slimy. He did Jesse wrong. He's doing this, this, and that. And you know, towards the end of the show, he he realized what he he had what he did. He had to make you know, um, he had to make things right, and he saved Jesse, and ultimately cost him his life. He became the villain, then he died a hero in a sense. But that's it for the TV character March Madness um, tournament. I, overall, think it was a great tournament, and can't wait to approve upon this next year. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. I greatly appreciate y'all taking time on y'all busy day to get this podcast to listen. Please like, subscribe, share the podcast. Tell your family, tell your friends about the podcast. Follow the podcast on Twitter at High Infinity Pod. And follow me, the host, Jacob Knight, on Instagram and Twitter at SoYamAsian. And y'all please be safe out there and see y'all next week.